Jack Vanderhaven and Laurel, Phyllis and Dwight, Nancy Smith, Tracy Bodemeyer, Chuck Hoffman, Dick and Sharon Shepard, uh, Sharon Sorrells, Lorena Hendrick, Carol Troop. Oh, gee, Carol, you stayed home today, huh? <laughs> and 12 others, like I said. So give them a hand. Welcome them here. We're glad you're here. Whether you're in person or whether you're online with us, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, don't forget, go ahead and send your praises and your prayer requests in so Christy can get them uh, in. And, and uh, let's give Christy credit for what she does because I, didn't, I don't realize how everything goes back there. But she's running this stuff and listening to my sermon and making sure she moves this while she's got to go back and look up Facebook and then go look on the website for the conference or for the church, then go look at YouTube and put all those together on another slide that she's building as she goes on so she can play that when I ask her. So there's stuff going on back there y'all have no idea about, but they do a wonderful job. Let's give them a thank you for the hand back there. Amen. I think we got a dog in the house. She must root for Georgia. Oh, the Bronx. That's in the foreign country, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. And we are glad. Thank you, David and Bob and everyone else that works back there. Well, are you ready to hear the Word of God this morning? Okay, good. I've been staying with the lectionary, and I don't do that on a regular basis, but I have been lately, and i got to admit, I wrestle with the lectionary. And they teach us in seminary, this is what you're supposed to do. This text comes up, or these actually it's four texts, one Old Testament, one Wisdom, one Gospel, and one New Testament. And, and these four texts come up, and they're tied together somehow. And you have to wrestle with them with that question. Remember the question I told you we were going to ask, Ellen? Not what does this mean, but what does it say to us? You have to wrestle with that and say, what is this saying today? And I got to admit, I wrestled with this one today. And I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 4. And if I were to summarize what happens within this text, I was going to put it this way, from love to hatred in a heartbeat. And, you know, some of you may know that. You know, the guy can be waving next to you on 98 at one minute, and the next minute he's cutting you off, and you just went from waving back to you giving a sign of a special middle finger wave. Uh, or, or, or if you're like life, you're pulling the water pistol out from under. <laughs> Thank goodness it don't look like a real one. But anyhow, you, you know, it can, it can switch just like that. And as I thought about, it, I said, "No, that can't be. You can't go from love to hatred that fast, can you?" And I thought about my own self and actions. Yeah, I can go quicker than a heartbeat. Um, but then I asked myself the question, what causes that? Is it only happened to those people who were mentally disturbed? And that may put me in a white jacket, you know? Uh, it, does it only occur in certain situations or with certain mobs, I guess, or cultures like it did on January the 6th? Or is it something that's still going on today in humanity? And does it go all the way back to when Cain killed Abel? And, and I think we could say that. It goes all the way back and 
guilty or could be guilty of switching that quick. And then to confound the questions I'm asking about this scripture I'll be looking at even more. Remember I told you there's four different scriptures that dovetail here and the one out of the New Testament is Paul's 1 Corinthians 13 which is the great chapter on love. And as I'm reading all four of these I'm like there's no way these two go together. They are exact opposites. Well let's look at that. Remember last week we kicked off uh, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is getting his ministry in, in his hometown of Nazareth, remember? And he went in and he read Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2, where he said that he was here to bring good news to the poor, release the captives, restore sight to the blind, free the oppressed, and bring the favor of the Lord into their being that day. And everybody's, yay, this is our man, you know? And, and those things that he talked about, they're all good things. There are things that any God-fearing Jew that has grown up within the temple and within the synagogues, they would know that those things are scriptural. Even if you're not a Jew, even if you're a heathen, you know those things are things that people want. And we would want the same thing today, wouldn't we, John? We would want that same tenor, if you will. In fact, the ideals that were presented by Jesus would have been presented by the rabbis of the day or even the preachers of today if you will so so up to this point jesus is my words the golden boy you know the hometown hero the favored son of nazareth but then then there's a turn and this is where we pick up the scripture today this is when i think the first doubt kind of hits their mind and looking at luke 4 21 to 30 21 jesus has said this to them then he says to them Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, we normally read that and we blow right by it. Don't think about it, but I want you to think about what are they really saying? Wait a minute, is this not Joseph's son? Here, here's what they're saying in my words. Wait a minute. We know who this guy is. Didn't he grow up here? Didn't he go to school with our kids? Isn't this, this, this old Joe's kid, you know the carpenter, the one that we fired from working on the building here? Or if we were putting it in today's words, it would be, hey, isn't this that guy's son that picked oranges for a living? Isn't this the farm worker's son? Isn't this the bookkeeper's boy? And you can put whatever you want to in there. And they probably think, well, his dad was nothing special. Or even worse, maybe they think, well, his dad was a drunk. His mom was a druggie. His parents were thieves. They lived on welfare. That seems to be what they're saying. They're saying his family is nothing special, so he can't be special. And then I can imagine how they're thinking because Jesus knows their thoughts. And they probably think, well, wasn't this kid always in trouble? Wasn't he the one that was always getting expelled from school, sent home? Or maybe he was a nerd, you know, the one that was weird. No, I'm not talking about you, David. <laughs> you know, or he's the one that smoked pot all the time. Or whatever you want to put in there. 
Maybe he was Mr. Goody Goody Two Shoes that always told on everybody. They're saying, We know who he is. The seeds planted. The seeds planted. They're, they're actually saying, Wait a minute, how did he get where he is? He grew up with us. Who is he to think he's so much smarter than we are? So much better than we are? That's what they're thinking. But we don't pick that up yet. The thoughts are creeping in, just like they do for you and I today. They creep into us when we hear things about people at times. And Jesus knows it. And he's about to address this. And when he addresses it, y'all pick up your feet, he's fixing to stomp on somebody. Okay. So then he says to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He knew the thoughts. thoughts. He addressed them before they could even be spoken. They want to see miracles. They want to see people raised from the dead. They want to see lepers cured. They want to see the blind given back their sight. They want to see things happen that are beyond expectation, but they don't see them there. He says that he can't do them there in another gospel because they like faith. Well, let's think about something. Has he talked here about a doctor curing themselves? What would you think if you walked in? I'm going to pick on Jay. You're welcome. Jay, You've got a brand new doctor and you've never met him before, okay? Okay. okay. You're going to walk into his office this week down there at the lovely Watson Clinic or wherever and first thing you're going to notice is he's 450 pounds. Okay? And he looks at you and he looks at you well, Jay, first thing I can say is you need to go on a diet. And he's right. You're not helping any, Jay. But here he is telling you to get on a diet, and you say, well, but Doc, Doc, you're 450 pounds. I'm the healthiest fat man in the world. <laughs> you know, isn't that kind of what he's going out here? You're going to say, Doctor, cure yourself. In other words, who are you to tell us this stuff? You know, get your act together, if you will. And he talks about the fact that a prophet is not accepted in their hometown. Well, what does that do to the crowd that he's talking to? He's already telling them, you don't accept me because this is my hometown. And maybe they don't. Maybe they can't. Because, you know, they're probably thinking things like this. He grew up here. We're just as much a result of who he is than he is. I mean, we formed him. He's nothing special. There's that doubt that creeps in so Jesus can't do any miracles there. There's that doubt that they can't see the log in their own eye, but they certainly see the speck in his eye. Would you say we've got a lot of those people today in Washington, D.C., in our society, on Facebook, even within the church? And Jesus is telling them, you don't welcome me. You're not going to welcome me. But then, 
Sue, this is my take. Then he takes a nail and he drives it in his own coffin, as far as I'm concerned. In fact, he's going to take two nails here. Then he says in verse 25, but the truth is, notice that the truth is, that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Serapith in Sidon. Jesus is going back and reminding them of something they would have known that's from the Old Testament. He's going to talk about the two greatest prophets, Elijah and Elisha, here. And he goes back to him and says, look, when all this happened with Elijah, and if you remember what happened, there was a drought for three and a half years. Elijah first went out to the brook, and he was fed by the ravens. And then when the, the brook dried up, God sent him to this widow in Zarephath, which is not in Israel, which is in Gentile land, which is out there away from the people of God, if you will. And God sent Elijah to her. And if you'll remember the story, it went like this. The widow's coming out. And she's got a small fire made, and she's gonna got a little pot there with a little bit of oil, and she's gonna cook a cake. And Elijah says, Hey, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. And the widow says, Look, look, sir, this is all we've got. It's gonna make one little cake of cornbread. I'm southern, so that's what I'm gonna have, okay? Now I'm gonna fry this one cake up and I'm gonna give it to my son, and I'm gonna eat a little, little and that's all we got, and we're gonna die. And Elijah says, you give me that cake and this flour and this oil won't run out until the drought's over. I don't know about you, but I've cooked a little bit, Ellen. Yeah, right. What kind of faith does it take to do that? Because that's what she does. She cooks that up and gives it to him. Now, think about something with me. She's cooking it up. She reaches in and gets that flour. She's got to make her fingernails scrape the bottom. In fact, maybe she has to take the can and do this to get the last flour out. And she's already drained the oil in there and she, she fries it up. What is she thinking when she's frying that? What am I going to do? My son's going to have nothing to eat. We're going to die hungry. Who's this guy? Why am I giving this to him? There's no way that flour is going to come back. I scraped the bottom of the barrel myself. I put it in there. What faith did it take for her to give that cake to Elijah? And I think what we're seeing and what is being insinuated here by Jesus is God was sent Elijah to her because nobody in Israel had enough faith to do it. They didn't have enough faith to give the last of what they had to the prophet and then see the miracle that would occur. Now, remember where he's saying this in the synagogue of his hometown. They're supposed to be the people of God, the ones called by God, the special ones. And when he says this to them, don't you know? Remember he said, I'll tell you the truth. He just cut their hearts and showed them, Israel don't have enough faith to accept me. They think they're special. They think they're righteous. And Jesus has just showed them, you're nothing. Like maybe he needs to show the church today. But then, this is a one-two punch. Two's coming. He hits him again a second time. He drives another nail in the coffin, if you will. He talks about Elisha. 
Now, you've got to remember your Old Testament. Elisha was the prophet who followed Elijah. And when Elijah was taken up into heaven in that whirlwind fire, that chariot of fire, Elisha had said, I want a double portion of what's on you, Elijah. And Elijah said, okay, you can have that double portion if you're there with me when I go up. And it says that he was there and he picked up Elijah's mantle and put it over himself and he had a double portion of what Elijah had. In fact, if you know your Old Testament, let me tell you a quick side fact. If you know your Old Testament, later on, there's a time after Elisha has died and there's an army invading Israel. And they're out burying someone when the army approaches. And these people, they just throw these, this man who was dead on top of another grave, which was Elisha's. And he comes back to life because he was thought of the bones of Elisha. And that spirit was still there. He's talking about this man now. And he says in verse 27 to them, You know, there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. But none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Cyrene. Here again, he's talking about somebody outside the faith. And if you remember this story, the story here is that the Syrians had conquered the, the land of Israel. Israel paid them huge taxes so that they could just survive and live. Uh, they often went hungry because they had to pay their crops to the Syrians. In fact, the Syrians would come in and raid them once in a while and Naaman commander in this army. Naaman may have been one of the ones that was raiding and killing and looting them at one time. In fact, Naaman had in his household an Israelite young girl slave, probably taken in spoils of ore. And when she found out he had leprosy, he, she said to him, too bad you don't know our prophet Elisha over there in Israel because he can hear it, heal you. So Naaman says, well, hey, if he can heal me, went to his king and got permission to go see him. So Naaman, the dog, who is a foreigner, who put Israel under the yoke, if you will, and is suppressing them and oppressing them even now, goes to Elisha to be healed. Now, let's see. I got to pick on somebody else. Dick, I'm going to pick on you today. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so Dick, let's say you're the prophet Elisha. Now, let's make you Naaman, okay? I'm, I'm going to be the prophet, okay? <laughs> so you, you're Naaman, you're coming to me to be healed, and you want me to heal you or leprosy. What do you think you expect to happen? And think about this. If you're going to be healed of this disease that there's no cure for, and you're going to the prophet, don't you think the prophet's going to say, oh, my son, I'm so sorry you've got this here. And he's at least going to put his hand on you, and he's going to say, I command you in the name of the Lord for the leave disease. Or he's going to go in and mix up a portion and he's going to pour this oil stuff over your head and pray over you and you're going to be healed. Or he's going to say, I'll tell you what. God will heal you if you go out and you do this great feat. You climb Mount Everest without any oxygen and with no Sherpa guide and I'll heal you. It, it, that's probably what Naaman's thinking. Something like this is going to happen. And yet Naaman shows up at Elisha's door and you know what happens? Have you, have you read the scripture? Elisha don't even go out and see him. He says to his servant, go out and tell him to go wash himself seven times in the river of Jordan and he'll be healed. The prophet didn't even come out and talk to him. Didn't say nothing. Sent a servant. Said, go tell him to go down there to the river and take a bath seven times. Naaman leaves mad. 
says, why would I go down to that dirty, polluted, no good for nothing, Peace River that's all brown and yucky and mud on the bottom. When I've got rivers over where I'm from that are crystal clear, fed by springs, you can see the bottom. They're so pure, you can look at your face in them. And you want me to go bathe in this dirty river? But his servants talked him into going. And it says in Scripture that after he had bathed seven times, when he came up, his skin was as that of a young boy. He was healed. He was healed. And Jesus said, you had lepers walking among you, but none of you were healed other than Naaman. Why? Because nobody had the faith to do something simple that the prophet told him to do. Wow. Don't you know that that cut them again? In fact, look what Scripture says. When they heard this, all in the synagogue was filled with rage. Why were they filled with rage? Because they just saw that they were liking and they were not the people they thought they were. Jesus just told them the truth and held a mirror in front of their face and let them see themselves for who they really were. And they didn't like it. And I wonder, are we any different today? Because we don't like to see our faults either, do we? I don't know about you, Jim, but I don't like to see mine. And I've seen some this week, and I don't like to see them. You know, Scripture says that they were so mad that they got up and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. They were going to kill him. But he passed through their midst and went on his way. Wasn't his time. They were so outraged they sought to kill him. Wait a minute. He was the golden boy not ten verses ago. And in the scope of a heartbeat. Within the time it took him not to tell the stories. They knew the stories just to remind them in two or three verses of what the stories were. They become so enraged. They want to get rid of him permanently. And, and we read this today, Mike, and we say, that couldn't be us. Oh, really? We don't think it could? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus tells you to love your neighbor as yourself, do you do it? Or do you love them just a little less than you do yourself? Or maybe even you don't love them at all because I ain't loving him. You know what? He throws his leaves. He blows them over on my yard, Jay. He blows it, takes his yard thing and throws them on my yard. And I don't have a blower. I got to rake them. Yeah. Or why would I love her? She don't ever do anything with me. In fact, she won't even speak to me. So why would I love her? So, do we do any better? Now, we say, well, I don't get mad enough to kill her. Not yet. Or what about when Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek? Do we turn it or do we do the other thing? First thing, you hit me. I'm going on Facebook and I'm telling all my friends and your friends what you did to me. And then I'm going to tell everybody at work tomorrow at the water cooler and we're going to make you out to be the worst person in the world even though I cussed at you before you hit me. Are we any better? Or what about when Jesus tells us to pray for our enemy? 
Do we? Uh, and when, I, when he says pray for the enemy, he doesn't say pray, Lord, bring down fire from heaven and destroy them. He means for you to pray for them, for them to be blessed, to come into the kingdom. But will we do that? Because I don't know if you've tried this or not, but when you sincerely pray for the goodness of God to touch someone, they're not your enemy anymore. In fact, they become your friend. They become dear to you, if you will. So that enemy is now a compadre, if you will. What about when we're told to clothe and feed those in need? But yet we don't like them, so I'm not going to feed them and clothe them, but I will give them this old coat I got that's got 42 moth holes in it and is a size and a half too small for them. Or, well, I got a can of viney sausage back there in my truck that's been there for six months. I'm not going to eat it. I'll give it to them. We think we've done something, but wow. What about when Jesus tells us to go to second mile? Or to forgive people 70 times seven? Do we readily and willingly obey? And I've got to tell you here, ouch, because I can see where I fail every day. Most days, more than once. I just fell short too. Or how about this? And this was a tough one. So put your shoes on. What about when we think we have the only correct interpretation to Scripture and we force it upon others? Not saying we're wrong, but the way in which we do it. Is it lovingly or is it, lack of a better word, haughtily or arrogantly? When we think we're the only ones that know what's good for the church or the country or the state and those who believe something different, we just absolutely cannot stand are we obeying Jesus to love our enemy? Can we be filled with rage just as those Jews in Nazareth were? And could we possibly want to hurt Jesus even though we may not realize it just as they did wanting to throw him off the cliff? As the body of Christ, as the church, must we not consider these things and how we act? Shouldn't we ask ourselves questions and reflect and look deeply within ourselves to answer these and to try to do the best we can to be the ones that Jesus has called, to be like Jesus, to turn the other cheek, the other second mile, to help those in need. And if these feelings happen to come to surface, even if it's on 98 when they cut in front of us, should we not think then and say, well, wait a minute, my actions don't reflect what Jesus has called me to be. And at that point, shouldn't we repent? Say, I'm sorry, Lord. Because we've seen we're not obedient to his will at all the times that we should be. So what do we do? I'm glad you asked that question because that's where 1 Corinthians 13 comes in. I think it's paired with this story to show us this is how Jesus wants us to live. And I want to remind you of that this day as I close. I want to remind you that God is love as we read in 1 John that God loves all people and that we're supposed to act in love at all times. So to illustrate how we should act, how a people in the story today could have been 
truly God's people and reacted rather than the way they did. Listen to this scripture closely and pray the Holy Spirit will help you to obey it in such a way that you can live a life of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 in the NLT, New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. This is the mark of a true Christian. These are the marks that Jesus was looking for in the people that day in the synagogue. This is the marks they failed to meet and why he pointed it out to them. How we respond to critics and enemies, that's what counts. Can we respond as Paul does with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with love that never ends? It's hard. We fail often, but we have to try. And Jesus has promised that his spirit would be with us forever and he would enable us to live in such a way as we yield to him. Pray with me, please, as the praise team comes forward, please. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for this message that you have given us. We thank you for the um, way these scriptures point out one thing and then show us how we're to live. I pray that you would convict us of the stuff that goes on in our life that shouldn't be there, that you would help us to live in such a way, and that your spirit would even now be touching us in such a way to rid us of evil and to fill us with goodness, mercy, and your love so that we can share that with others this day. We ask it in your name. Amen. I believe we're going to be singing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as we do, the altars open if you have a need or if you just want to come up and just pray to God and ask God to fill you or whatever you want to ask, the altars open. Let go, praise team. My Papa Martin and for Papa Danny and Tinny to get better because they're sick. Okay. They have COVID. Okay. Yeah. Any others? Okay, online, Christy. Sandy Stanfield's asking us to pray for her friend Anita Barch in Texas who lost her 21-year-old granddaughter, Skylar, in a wreck this week. Prayers for the whole family, please. Rosita's asking us to pray for her mom, Noela, and sister, Berta, in hospice care. Another sister? Oh, your mother, sister, your aunt. Okay, okay. Others? Got one down here. And Sharon Cottington's with us today. Thank God she's back and, and doing well. Uh, Dick uh, McCle uh, Rick McClellan is home. Uh, I texted him this morning. I haven't heard a result, but I think he's home. His surgery went well. Dick Shepard is home um, from his shoulder, his second shoulder repair. 
Um, was in some pain, but it's only a day old at this point, so things seem to be progressing there. And was there another one? Oh, down front. Hey, you get a special anointed. I just want to have a general prayer for and try to remember all the farmers, nurserymen. I mean, just freeze this morning and pray that it won't be hurtful to any of them. Amen. Okay. Are we ready to go to God in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before your throne of grace, the first thing I do is I just want to thank you for your heart. I want to thank you for your reckless love. I want to thank you that we have a friend that we can trust and that you never leave and forsake us. And I want to pray that you would help us to trust you and live into your heart. Not just ask you to live in ours, but ask you to transform ours until it is your heart. And we are obeying your will in everything we say and do. And speaking of obeying that will, we bring these requests before you in prayer. You've heard them. Each and every one that has been lifted up. We pray for those that have been in the hospital and had surgeries, such as Frank and Rick and Dick and, and Sharon. And, and I also think of um, Ms. Van der Hort. Just lift them up and ask you to be with them even today. For those that are still undergoing things such as Linda Gibbs uh, and uh, Betty Fisher has just finished her chemo and others that are going through chemo and radiation, we lift them before you. ask you to be with them and help them. And thank you for the support network of family that you have around each and every one of these. For those spouses and those daughters and sons maybe and friends and husbands that just care for them. We want to come and as we do, we pray for those uh, such as Rosita's uh, aunt and her mother and those that are sick with COVID, we lift them before you and ask that you would be with them and help them through this at this time. Help them to get better and to get well. For those that are just burned out because of everything going on, Lord, especially for our doctors and our nurses and our EMTs and law enforcement and those that are dealing on the front lines, if you will, with so many things, COVID, violence, and everything else. We lift them before you, and we ask you to be with them this day and give them some help. Uh, give them some respite, if you will. May they depend on you, and may you lift them up as you lift up an eagle's wings and give them the strength they need. And even now, we pray that you would lessen these things within our, within our society, not only COVID, but the violence and the hatred that we have and the disrespect that's shown many times. Just ask you to fill our hearts with love so that we can go forth to take others the truth, the love of Christ everywhere we go and in all we do. We ask in your name. Amen. I remind you, especially if you're online, that next week is a communion Sunday, so get your juice and your bread ready if you're going to watch us online. If you're here, of course, we'll have the elements here for you. I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. Your faithful and generous giving helps us to continue the outreach feeding family, helping with the children's home at times, Dwight and Phil take bicycles and other donations there and, and things like that. Thank you for what you do there. Don't forget you can give to the children's home today, writing that notation on your envelope or on your check, or you can send it in over the Internet and put the children's home on it, or you can give it. Miss Sue will take it any day of the week, right, Miss Sue? And put it on the bottom, and, and at the end of every month we send them or the other designated accounts, whoever it may be, we send them the one check at the end of the month.
Uh, and you can support us by sending those gifts to Lake Gibson United Methodist Church, uh, 424 West Daughtery Road, Lakeland, Florida, 33809. Go to the website, lakegibsonusc.com. You can give a one-time gift or repeated giving there, repeated giving up. You can even text it to us at 833-758-0308. Of course, don't forget Zooming the Peace on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and my Bible study on Thursdays at 1 p.m. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. So with that, let's, let me give you this benediction. I'm going to ask you to do something different. Stand for the benediction today. Those we go forth now, may the love of God help us to bear all things. May the love of Christ enable us to believe all things. May the love of the Holy Spirit inspire us to hope all things. So that you, so that we abide in you in faith, hope, and love this day and forevermore. We ask in your holy name. Amen. See you for leftovers uh, Wednesday at noon.